0: I use the saw to split the pelvis, and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity, and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out. Right, so uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple, very easy, and the the knife is sharp. And uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So. Um, Take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase.
1: We have a great episode today. I've got Paul Putera back on as a guest. Now, I did an episode not too long ago with Paul detailing his big wood scouting and hunting tactics in a lot of detail and breaking down the story of his Pennsylvania hunt. Well... He's kept at it, and even in the time since recording that last episode, he's knocked down a couple more great bucks in the Northeast. Today, what we're talking about more specifically is mature buck behavior. What do they do differently than all the other deer we see in the woods, and why do those things make them so hard to hunt and kill? There's some good real world examples in this one, as well as a good general feel for how much time in the woods you really feel like you need to be spending to accumulate a handful of these dynamite big buck spots over the years. We pick up the conversation with Paul talking about an update on his late season hunting for a buck that he's already spotted multiple times in the field. As most of you know, I've been using OnX for several years for e-scouting and waypoint management. In the field or at home, I can browse aerials and topos, map my routes, draw lines and waypoints, color-code points of interest, geotag photos of rubs, or even what a specific tree I intend on hunting looks like so that I can find it in the dark, say, for example. Furthermore, I can download maps for offline use and, of course, browse public and private land boundaries. Use the code DIY for a discount on an OnX Hunt membership.
2: Yeah, it's funny because, like, all the deer this year, they dropped early. Like, all the mountain bucks were dropping mid-December around here because we didn't have any acorns this year. So it seems like every year we don't get good acorns, the deer drop early, so all the deer that were away from those bean fields and stuff all dropped their antlers, and they're all falling off. but anything that was in a close enough proximity to those bean fields is all holding their antlers
1: hmm.
2: and you can even see on the health of the deer like the the deer the mountain bucks are all skinny looking and look look bad, but like the deer around the bean fields are big fat deer.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I was hoping to find so. standing beans when I went out to North Dakota for the late season trip there, but uh, no such luck. At least nothing that was on. Actually, I don't think I saw a standing bean pe- bean field in the entire state when I was driving. A couple of standing corn fields, but most of the stuff there was picked.
2: Well, if you find standing corn, you'd be set with that. You
1: can get
2: on them. Yeah. Hearing.
1: I mean, there's a lot of the standing corn had had cows, in and around it. And what it seemed like is there's a lot of areas that didn't have standing corn. There's still a lot of deer sign. And in the few places I did find standing corn, there was also deer, um, but a lot of does didn't find much for like buck sign around them. But I could only, act. Yeah. there's only like a, a, a small little, like a piece here and a piece there type of a thing. It wasn't like I had like a couple dozen to go check. Yeah.
2: Well, that's the thing too. Like, this time of year with that food, like you, you might think there's just a lot of does in the area, but the bucks really aren't making the sign, you know, at least they're not like around May. It's like the the bucks are in there in big bachelor groups, the same as the does. And they're, they're betting like almost like the does, like all the, the bucks are in there all bedded, but the butt. To butt.
1: Yeah. In certain areas Yeah I was just so, looking like, for line, like, Looking for like uh, You know either bigger tracks Even if it was like you know beaten down trails as if there were Like a smaller group Or like uh, whenever they would dig I'd be looking for like time marks and Or like you know places where they'd walk around Trees that they could have just walked right next to I didn't see any of that really Yeah
2: because what, what I usually do like, like, say, like the bean fields I'm, I was hunting for that food source for the winter. Like, you'll see, like, the where the does are, like, they almost, the does play on, like, a direct route down the hill.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right at the, go right for the beans. And then you go up to the sideline or up in the back behind the does, and that's where the bucks are going to be. And it almost seems like the bucks know did not just cut straight down. To the beans, and they almost like kind of side sideline it, and they they'll just go up and mill around in that bedding area. Like they'll be up like like two hours before before sundown, but they just don't leave the bedding area, and they're just in that little pocket where they feel safe, and they're just in there milling around. And then like it gets well past dark, and then they finally do turn and cut down the hill.
1: So in these little late season bachelor groups, is it just like a mixture of age classes once again, or do you find that you get like a, a couple mature bucks that are together and then like, you know, younger deer, or is it just a mix?
2: It's like, it's the same as like you'll see in the summertime. You kind of, you'll get, you'll get some, like some bachelor groups, you'll have the mixed, mixed age class. And then sometimes you'll have all just big bucks and one. And like this, this one I was hunting so, so happened to have, Four of the target bucks I was hunting, all together. You
1: know? and, and the and then one then you're after I is sort of, just the biggest of the of the group.
2: Yeah, well, that's uh, I I would have been tagged out, but I got greedy and I was like, I'm gonna shoot the 150 inch deer, and not shoot the 130 inch deer, even though I'm in Jersey and this is insane. So, but I already shot four big bucks this year already, so I was like, no really not fighting to shoot a big buck. So I was like, I'm just gonna try to kill the big boy. Yeah. But I had the other deer at thirty yards multiple nights in a row and I just never could got I never got a shot on the big one. He was in the back. Like he let all the smaller bucks walk in front and he's like, you go that way and I'll see what happens and then if you don't get shot then I'll walk over there.
1: Do you think that, that deer was older than the rest of the bucks too or do you think he just had a bigger rack? Oh, absolutely. The uh,
2: the other bucks were probably like I'm gonna say they're the the one the 110 was probably 120 inches, and the two eights were close to 130. And then he was a big nine, and he was like probably a five and a half year old deer, and the other ones were like three and a half, four and a half years old, probably more closer to three and a half.
1: So even though those deer were traveling together, what were some of the things that that deer would do differently? You think, as a result of him just being an older deer, like how would he? You mentioned that he was just kind of holding back and not always being the first, oh, first the first deer to walk out.
2: Yeah, he didn't want to. He didn't want to walk in the front, and that's that's something I've seen. Like I killed a, I killed a monster, five and a half year old ten pointer. Well, it wasn't a monster buck, but it was a good buck for around here. So. 100 and I think it was 120. I forget 126 inches. I think is what he was. But he he literally, I actually killed his buddy the following year. But he would literally, there's this big doe. It was so funny every year of late season. He'd come in, and there's this big doe. He would follow around this big alpha doe, and then the or buck would always be behind the alpha doe, and then he would be 200 yards behind both of them, and he would just be staring at them. And wherever they went, he would sit there, and he literally would watch where they go, and then, okay, and then he would creep forward. But he was, like, super sneaky about it. Like, he would just kind of stand there frozen and watch the other deer as they were moving in daylight to another spot, and then he would move forward.
1: So do you think... I mean, is he also positioning himself wind-wise, where he can figure out more of what's going on, or in that particular context no, when it's late season, is he not just not kind of watching?
2: Like, like when when I killed him, he was walking wind to his back, but he was just kind of he was kind of letting the other deer lead, and kind of using them as bait almost. It was kind of kind of funny to watch him do it, but that's something I've seen very often. Like you see, you'll see like. A herd of deer going, and then if you can get the other deer past you without blowing, and you can look way out past them, you'll see the big buck standing way out in the back.
1: So, is that how you killed that one? You just were able to get in the scenario where all the other deer were able to get by you without you getting yeah. uh, picked off. So and I
2: walked then... out that that year. The muzzleloader season ran into January for a couple of days. And we got hit with a big snowstorm. I was hunting that buck for two weeks, trying to trying to get on him. And he was just... I was trying to hunt him coming out of the swamp. And I'm trying to use the muzzleloader and just stay back so I wouldn't get winded. Because the wind is horrible this time of year. Around here, it always is just blowing and swirling. So, I just... I kept my distance. And he just... I never all the other deer would come out and I never could get him out to where I could get a shot on him. And like I couldn't push it any closer without spooking him. Cause I would have wound up pushing the other deer right past him and then he would have just went with the other deer. Yeah. Right out the back. You know, so I just kinda hung back. And then finally we got this big snowstorm and I was like, Well, with this snow I might as well Capitalize on it. I haven't really hunted for this deer in the morning, but like the way this is gonna, the snow's gonna stop around nine o'clock. So he's gonna be feeding, and he's gonna be getting up later than normal. So like he's gonna have, he might come back late, and I might get a shot him in daylight going into the swamp. So that's what I did. I got up real early, like real early, and went out and got set up where. Like, cause it, I had snow on the ground the whole time I was hunting these deer, so I knew exactly how they're traveling into the swamp. And I, I set up on it, and then he came through, and then I got him. But he literally was behind those other deer, just watching the whole way and just creeping. Just like, okay, go. Okay, now I'm gonna move. But he'll, he'll just every move those deer made, he was completely focused on what they were looking at like he was using them as their as as his eyes
1: yeah that makes it tough it it makes me wonder how many times that you know either i or or just hunters in general have deer encounters and don't realize that there's some bigger deer who's still yet to come in and, and maybe the the situation is such that they're set up where it's like not an ideal best setup, but it's like a good enough setup to be able to get a shot off. And, you know, the deer gets, the first deer comes and gets through your shooting lane and and kind of figures out something's wrong and then just busts out. And it's like, well, if that was the big one, I would have been able to get a shot. But in reality, if you would have been set up better, you know, to where those other deer are able to get by you and don't even know you're there, then that's the only opportunity you got. Yeah, and the later into the year, the more critical that becomes,
2: you know. And, like, you probably don't want to know how many times that's probably happened because it happens way more often than people realize.
1: Yeah, I'm
0: sure. They, they're,
2: they're smart. Like, they, they, they know the game. They're like, like somebody's going to get shot today if, they, they, if we do what we're doing, you know. Like they, they
1: know you're, they know you're hunting for them. Yeah. Well, and the, the other thing that comes but to mind were. too is, is, uh, how many times does, does somebody who hasn't either run cameras or glassed or pre-scouted the area and, and shoots the first good buck that comes through in a scenario where maybe there wasn't even a bigger one back there that would have been out another 15 minutes later. You just never knew. Mhm.
2: Yeah. Cause they're, they always, they always seem to come out. Come out last. If they came out first, you'd get a big buck every year. Right. Yeah. You know? But they're they're smart about it. Like you can't see them doing it, but like if you can have the chance to like go look at tracks and stuff and see where oh, you like confirm it with snow or something you're like wow there was a big buck bed it right here and it's like all those deer came out the night before. Where did he go? And then you see him. He gets up and he doesn't come out. And he just kind of mills. And he's almost—he's just kind of using those other deer. And then he'll—he'll—he'll kind of work the work the wind before he comes out of some of these places. Like the the most the most opportunity you'll you'll actually get to see these bucks is when the wind is blowing at the bedding area. You know. And if you can get on a, just off enough and get lucky that they can't smell you, you'll wind up seeing a big buck that night usually, but you'll, you, you can hunt that spot five or six times and never know that buck is in there. And then all of a sudden the wind is right and he comes out.
1: Well, do you think that that's because in those particular scenarios, when the wind is blowing into that bedding area, that's when he's actually bedding there? And maybe in those other scenarios he's betting somewhere else, or do you think it's more likely that he's betting there regardless, but when he's got the wind in his favor, he's just getting up earlier? I think he's
2: in there. He's just more – he's not as cautious because he's got the wind in his favor. But I I think he's in there because, like, this late season betting, they don't really want to, like, go all over the place. And, like, you got to think, too, the amount of people hunting still in the pressure, if they did randomly all – Every time the wind shifted, if they had to go somewhere else, it's going to put them in more vulnerable situations than if they could just find that one spot that nobody's going and walking it through, you know. And it's more like they'll just kind of get in this big, like a bowl or something. Bowls are big. Like they'll bed down in a bowl this time of year where that wind's always swirling, and they just get into a spot like that where they just know, like nothing can get to them.
1: And probably an area where it's then those bowls a little bit thicker, lower to the ground type cover where you, you can't see a long yeah. ways in them.
2: Yeah, and they got food right there if they can eat. Yeah. You know, they got browse right around next to them.
1: And they probably still feel safe because, like you said, the wind's swirling. But even even then, if they weren't able to use the wind to their advantage from every direction, it'd be really tough for, like, a predator to sneak up on them just because it, it would be noisy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's always coyotes running around. They're always making a racket. It's like you almost like sometimes you can get lucky if you know there's another guy hunting for the same deer. It's kinda kinda crazy. But if you know the other guy is going in and hunting a spot for those deer and you know that they're gonna get blown up blown up when he goes in there. Like set up in the evening.
1: Mm-hmm. If you can get
2: out on the sideline and like get behind where you think they're going to escape, you can actually capitalize on it and shoot one like that with the bow. Because now he's already getting bumped out, and if you're already like behind him, waiting for him, now you might have a split second chance where he gets too close to you and you get a shot.
1: Yeah. And
2: I mean, I've I've actually I've been in that situation and I've killed you doing it like that. It's kind of, that's actually kind of how I killed the deer in the S- September situation this year. You know, I was, I was hunting the last beds in the bedding area in the back of the bedding, but I was also on the main escape route for that bedding area, you know? So I had two, two things stacked up on me. So those bucks could have came in and bedded near me, or if they got busted by somebody else walking in the morning, or if they got anything Else, a coyote or something came through there and kind of spooked them a little bit, or a bobcat or something, or a bear, they could very easily just turn and walk right out and go right past me.
1: Is that, that sound like a morning setup. Is that a setup where you'd be up in there well before first light, just sitting there waiting? Yeah, that's, if, a lot of times, like, people forget, like, you
2: can get some pretty awesome setups in the morning especially like, like, like late season, if it's not working in the evening, don't be afraid to try the morning. I mean, the only thing that sucks in the morning is it's correct and cold, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. But well, the, the thing I struggle with late it, season and the evening hunts is it's so tough to get close enough. You know, it's like you can, in the early season you can use the cover of the leaves and the vegetation and whatever. And, and just the visual cover and uh-huh. you can get pretty dang close, but when you got the crunchy snow and there's no visual cover anywhere except for the grass, it's like you got to set up so far back. It seems like, especially if the snow's crunchy, that your odds of getting, I think, close enough are pretty low. If that deer just stands up and doesn't really move that far out of his bed. Whereas morning, it's like you can kind of use that to your advantage and, and make a little bit more noise, get set up hopefully before he's back. Yep.
2: And that, that was my problem this year, you know, like this winter bow with, with that buck, is everything was like frozen and crunchy like that, like you're saying. And like I could only get two hundred yards from that deer. And if I could have gotten any closer, at some point the wind was gonna blow at him. Mm-hmm. You know? Like the wind wasn't gonna pick up and swirl. So I, I wanted to be far enough back that he wouldn't win me. And I was actually physically getting to see this deer because I was doing that, because I was playing it safe enough to see him. But he just wasn't coming past me. You know, like I, I, I had, I would have 15 does get up and walk past me and head down to the bean field and that buck, I'd catch glimpses of him out there milling around and like when he started finally coming my way, it's just every time something happened with the wind would swirl or something got messed up. But literally, I, I literally spooked that deer. Every time I saw him, he, he smelled me. And he still was there every time I went and hunted.
1: So if he had more days, what like would you bed- do what would you do differently?
2: Well, if, if the season could have ran into this snowstorm, I probably could have used that to my advantage and got him with the snow. I could have been I could have gotten in maybe I could have gotten in this in the bedding area with the snow coming down real hard while he was laying there. Yeah. Or something. I could have got close enough that way and he could have because when the snow was when the snow came in, the wind wasn't so bad. it was like kind of like a dead dead snow, like just snowing with no wind flow, you know, and everything just landing on the
1: ground, and so in absence so. of that happening, your best best chance is just keep getting on him and just hope you get hope you get that one hope, hope fleeting opportunity so. where he gives you an opportunity in a shop before the wind. Gives you away.
2: Yep. yep. And I, like it just wasn't working out that I could get in. Like he was going back in the bedding in the mornings because I had I had cameras out and I was catching. I never got the real big one on the camera, but I got the other box that he was following on the camera. And they were coming back into the bedding area at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning from the bean field. So it's like I couldn't Super, get in there before them. Yeah. But if I, had, if I could have had snow and I had something where I could get them when they were coming up the hill in daylight one day and they just got screwed up on their timing, I could have gotten in there in the morning and set up. Because I, I knew pretty much exactly where he was bedding. I probably could have been within 30 yards of his bed in the dark and directly over it. you know. And I would have just set up like that and I would have been hoping I can get him like that. And it was actually, it would have been because the the way they're exiting that bedding, they the he was on the the uh, the leeward side of the bean field, coming off the ridge, and I mean, he's he's actually there. Like that's the thing, like with the leeward bedding and the wind blowing over the ridge and stuff. they were bedding on the, the upper one third of the ridge, mm-hmm. but the wind wasn't blowing over his back over that ridge. It was the whole time that wind was always blowing from the bean fields up. Hmm. But it was just, it's the, the way the terrain laid out. There's like a couple big drainages that filtered all that scent from the bottom up right into his bedding area. You know, and then he was like in this big bowled out area at the top of the drainages. So he would just sit right up there and all the deer would be milling around in that bowl all day long in daylight, walking around in broad daylight. But just you couldn't get into them you know, it was essentially it looked like it was a deer yard you know it was all all pines and,
1: yeah well so what about coming in trying to come in from the backside I suppose if you come in from the backside they're probably exiting out the base of that drainage right so you you don't really it's not like they're coming out the opposite end and going out I, the I top could've,
2: I could have got like right up on the top of that bowl on the top edge where I think he was laying down a lot of the times and I could have got set up there in the dark. Yeah. And then the predominant winds are blowing up the drainage, so he's actually coming into the bedding area with the wind to his back most of the time. So I probably could have killed him like that, but it was just he was getting there before I could shoot him. Like I would have I would have had to literally just let him let him leave it and then stay in my stand until
1: morning to shoot him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what are some things that you, you find those older age class bucks doing even outside of the late season and maybe outside of the early season when they're still in their summer bachelor groups? Like what are, what are some things in, you know, October, let's say for instance, that you see those, you know, three, four or five or older deer doing that, that just, you you think it gives them the edge and maybe a reason why they're able to get by for another year
2: a lot of it's just they're not coming out far enough in daylight to shoot them but like they're they're smart enough that like they, they use the wind in those bedding areas and it's like you you can find 20 buck beds and maybe one of those beds is actually going to be a but a bed that a real big buck will ever use you know and it just he picks that spot, right. And it's like, you got to, when, when you scout him and you find these beds, the best thing you can do is you really got to pay attention to how he's coming out of these spots and really got to think about how he's coming out and how every other deer in that place is coming out. And like often, a lot of times that deer is not going to be coming out exactly the same as all the other deer in these situations like he's going to stay down in the in the edge of this, the bottom of the swamp, and he's not going to come straight up out of the, out of the bedding area on the, the heavy trail, he might stay down and mill on the inside interior of that swamp or something, and then when he feels that he can smell everything that's up on that ridge and the thermals are dropping down or something, he's going to then decide that, okay, yeah, it's safe enough for me to come out.
1: I remember you but describing uh, I mean, that one scenario where you found a bed that was maybe a little bit like that where you had a little bit of a drainage and I, I think it even might have been like a you know, like a small creek or just like a low depression <laughs> within like the hills and it was like the yep. type of an area where if you had falling thermals, the wind would just be coming in or I guess the thermals would just be dropping it in from like every direction. If you were anywhere kind of outside of his little bowl of protection, like you were gonna get busted. Yep.
2: Yeah, his little little bubble right there, he had that little drainage spot. And you could even see how he did it. It was really neat. Like, you could see, like, all the other deer would have, there was a big primary trail that came up above that drainage out of the bedding area and then crossed over to top of that drainage. And then he would come out of his bed and work the edge of the swamp and then stand right down in the bottom, right at the, right at the little bottom where the creek is, running down out of the drainage. And he could smell every deer that walked down from above him right there. And he stood there, and you can actually see a bunch of rubs and stuff where he would stand there, and he could rub a tree and stuff. And all his sign was right there. There's a bunch of big buck poop right there and everything. And But he would get up, and then instead of coming straight out, he could use that thermal advantage from that hill in the evening when he exited that bed and he wouldn't by the time he got to that point and he stood there for 15 or 20 minutes he knew exactly where everything was above him on that hill
1: so would you be able to sneak into that particular spot when the thermals are still rising and get into that little sniffing spot for him and get set up absolutely and and that's probably the only chance you got
2: that's and that's the thing like He's doing that, but nobody nobody's capitalizing on it. There's even actually another hunter stand-up on the hill above it, you know, where, like, all the other, the real good sign is on the edge, on, like, coming out of the hardwoods. There's, like, all big scrapes and stuff up there. It's a yep. real great-looking sign. It's like, wow, that's this is the spot, but it's not because that deer is checking that spot from a different spot. So he's he was down, but but I, I found where he's actually betting because he was betting between these two big grassy swamps and this strip of of laurel between them and he was bedding a little knob back in this like an hourglass almost looked like a funnel between the swamps and he was actually bedding in the funnel and then he would come out of the out of that that funnel and then skirt the one swamp over on a 90 degree angle and then get in that drainage on the bottom going into feeding that one swamp and to set up for that deer would have been really easy actually but nobody just would nobody really noticed that setup you know you just got to walk right down and through that drainage and loop and just kind of hook around and then set up below where he's making that sign where he was popping out so when when i would be set up in that tree he'd become skirting that edge. I'd be below the dropping thermals in the swamp, looking up out into the hardwoods. Yeah. And then he would be skirting in front of me, and I'd, I'd freaking nail him because he wouldn't have a clue I was there. So you know, But so that's, that makes, a lot of times when I kill one, oh, I, I kill him.
1: That makes sense that you would get in there deep enough into that little swamp that you'd be below an elevation where he would come out to, to start smelling the stuff around him. So I guess my question would be for your ideal setup to try and get in there undetected, would you, because obviously we'll assume that throughout the day there's going to be rising thermals, but there's probably also going to be some type of a wind direction that's maybe overpowering the thermals throughout the day. Would you assume that he's betting there on most wind directions and just preferably even wait until you have a you know, strong day wind that's coming out of the swamp, just to really hedge your bets and try and make sure that you're getting in there nice and safe, or would you just kind of go in there on, on you know most most any wind as long as it's not blowing right at his bed? Well,
2: this is another one of those scenarios where that the primary wind is going from the hardwoods and blowing into the swamp most of the time. Yep. But he was actually where he was betting in that, that little hourglass over there between the swamps, that was actually where most of the other deer were bedding, too. But he was bedding behind them. So he was laying downwind of those deer during the daytime. And then when they would filter out straight, he would cut, cut sideways. So all I would have to do is just go there when he was there, which was pretty much constantly from the bed. I mean, the, the bed when i when i found the bed i mean there's literally like it looked like he stood in that bed every day took a dump for like two months and he was just the whole bed was just tore up down to the dirt just all sorts of buck poop right there rubs all around the bed all as big around as my leg just probably 30 rubs like that all in that little cluster right there and it's just like that was the spot. That was where, wherever, anytime a big buck was over in that area, he was gonna lay there. You know. So, but all, all I had to do, since he was cutting on the uh, the sideline there, is I would just have to walk down there, wind to my back, right into the swamp where it would be blown out into the big grass swamp where he was embedded, and set up.
1: So and, the wind, you know, the wind on your axis is kind of it's generally blowing that direction, but Specifically, it, it would just be missing that hourglass and going out into that open yeah. grass. It was probably his bed from that drainage was probably about
2: 150 yards.
1: Okay. So he's getting so, up and moving a decent ways.
2: Yeah. So it was like I could get in there and be fine. And where he was moving, he was completely secure. You know, he, like there was a higher ridge above him and it was like down a hole into the swamp. You know, so he was down there concealed in that dark swamp, and that he probably was perfectly comfortable walking through that. Like, right. A lot of times, when you, when you shoot them in those situations, they're just they come through like a little kit. like they don't even have a care in the world. They just come through, rubbing trees, and just they don't even act like a big spooky buck, because they just they're so comfortable in that situation. But once you can figure out where that is, and you can hit it, then you're good. But you literally you got one shot at that. Because once you walk down there and you lay that scent down, he's going to go, whoa, whoa. Like, that. this isn't good. And he, he's probably not going to do it that way for a little while. You might have to give it a couple weeks before he can try that one again.
1: Yeah, and probably... Unless
2: there's another big buck in the bed and you can kill another big buck in it if you're hunting multiple bucks.
1: Probably your only saving grace there for multiple hunts is if there's some type of scenario where you can get in, you know, truly from the side with some other kind of weird access where it's not crossing the path that he gets out on, but that's probably pretty rare to find.
0: Yep.
2: But that's why I hunt spots with more than one big block because you can screw up on that one or you might set up there and he just might not have been there that day. But the amount of sign in that bed, there's going to be a big big buck or a buck coming out of that bed and doing that quite often so like you literally could go into that spot one day and not shoot the big buck that was in or the big buck might the one you're targeting but you come back 2 days later and you can hit that spot one more time and you might shoot another giant buck in that location you know cuz like the amount of rubs around that bed there's probably multiple Competing over that betting
1: area. Yeah. I can't remember if I told you this story, if I've talked about it on the podcast before or not, but I had a buddy who went in and, and hunted in a a marsh and had a a nice, like, I think it was an eight pointer came out with deer deep. He'd be happy to shoot. And um, when he got back to full draw, I don't know if he was torquing his bow or something, somehow did something to his bow, derailed his cam or something like that, blew the hunt up, and had to go to the archer shop to get it fixed. Went back into the same tree the next day and like a 160 something came out and shot it. So, yep. it was- and that, that's that's the thing, like that happens more than like that. That's
2: a sometimes, like some sometimes of the year, I I don't call a spot done just because it didn't work out. Like, sometimes you could just go right back in there because it's just a different box. And especially if you're in this big woods, like they're not. They, that big buck could be two miles the, the following day in another big buck bedding area that's almost the same as that one, you know? So, like, you just got to find a bunch of spots like that and just keep rotating through them and hitting them, and eventually one's going to work.
1: Yeah, you know? I think when we, when we talked on our previous podcast, we talked a lot about, you know, trying to find the, the in-season sign and just trying to do a lot of still hunting when you got into areas where it seemed like you were getting about to where you would expect to see deer. But when you're doing your yep. post-season scouting, I mean, you're, you're finding these spots where it's like, you're taking, you know, thousands of acres and you probably have gotten to the point where you can look at a map, even in big woods and say, this is probably an area to go check out. And you're going and finding the best of the best of the best in those areas. And maybe let's say you yep. got, 10, 15,000 acres, but you know that of the best of the best spots, there's like five and they're here, 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 and here. And then you're able yeah, to monitor it down to the tr-
2: You'll have five trees.
1: <laughs> and so then when you find that in-season sign, you're like, okay, you know, either a couple of nice bucks or this one is, is here now Then that's, you know, exactly how to capitalize on it. Yep.
2: And then those spots that I scout, I don't just go and hunt them to hunt them. I pay attention, you know, like obviously there's a bunch of big scrapes up in the hardwoods above that. So when I'm going in the hunt, I'll just go and check that spot. Okay. Yeah. Those scrapes are getting hit. Now that bucks in that bed, now we'll go down and kill the buck, you know, but it's until that point, I won't go down in there and touch that spot. and, when i do go in there to hunt it i pick the right wind and everything so it's perfect right i pick a day that the wind's not swirling or anything I pick a day that i have a good advantage you know because those are those are like the the money spots you know
1: what about uh like fronts or weather or anything like that Do you, do you take whatever first day gives you the right set of wind conditions that you're looking for or do you really wait for the stars yeah, to align I,
2: I just I just go off the sign, once the sign shows up for that location where that deer is coming out, and then once I know he's there, because like you might you might go there and be like okay yeah there's a bunch of little rubs but there's nothing really showing me a giant bucks in here, and then you'll come back two weeks later and it'll be torn up with a giant buck,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then you go okay now it's time to hit that. You know and I'll just go off of that and I'll just pick the right wind and go in and hunt it I don't because if they're there they're there it doesn't matter if there's a front or anything coming in especially like October time frame when you're hunting these a lot of times you know they're they're gonna be there for the for the doze yeah so yeah as soon as it's as soon as it's hot you hit it and go to the next one you just keep stacking them up. It just it takes a long time to find a lot of good spots like that. But I, I have enough now that realistically I could probably hit a spot like that almost every day of the year throughout New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, you know. I have I have locations I can go almost every day like that. But I still like to hunt new ground and stuff too. So in between the seasons like as I'm waiting for those those kill days, I'm still hunting areas that I'm less familiar with and learning them and just dialing in new areas for the following year and just finding spots like, okay, this one maybe wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. So now this one's going to get put, a, put aside, but this area here I need to focus on and I'll, I just, it keeps evolving. Eventually
1: you find super, super spots. So was the, the super spots, but because spring scouting is right around the corner for a lot of guys and they're going to go out and hit the woods hard. And especially if, if mobile hunting is new to them, they, it, it's natural to find like your first good set of spots and think like, this is it. This is where I'm going to set up. This is where I'm going to kill, you know, the deer you found the bed. You found, you know, the, the scrapes that he's using when he leaves the bed, you find all this stuff, but how, rare would you say it is to have one of those truly great spots like how many how many spots could you go out and find is it like one out of ten like good spots that is like a super spot that a mature buck is going to use like how many it's
2: probably more like one out of 50
1: so you got to put in honestly. a lot of a lot of time and a lot of effort to to find a lot a lot of stuff to find the yeah. needles in the haystack I mean,
2: this is, it, takes, it takes years i mean i've been i've been doing it for I've been focusing on big bucks since 2004 I think is when I really just started hunting big bucks. So it's like, that's like, it took me that long to find all these, you know, and you just, you just learn and over time, you start finding them. And then once you find a couple, it gets easier to find them, you know, where to look. Cause you starting to realize the pattern to it. You're like, okay, you look at a piece of terrain or something you're like this terrain lays out right for a big buck will want to be here. You know, you have to have all those advantages. You got to look at it and be like, okay, this is got excellent bedding cover. It's got good food right there. It's got good, good thermal flows that give the buck advantages. It's got awesome escape routes. It's got everything you could possibly think that you would need to be a big buck to survive is all in that spot, you know? And like, you might go on a, you might pull out a thousand acre map and pick out two on a thousand acres that are going to be like that. But those, those locations, it's like almost a gimme That's like the buck is going to be there when you, when you find the sign for him. As soon as you see that, that area heat up, he's there.
1: So if you, if you have a bunch... Let's say you got 10 dynamite spots that you've gathered over the years and you, you could keep scouting new stuff so eventually you might find like an 11th. But out of those 10 that you know are like the spots to be, if the sign is there, then you got to hunt it now and you know exactly how you're going to dive in there and do it. Out of those 10, how many could be hot at any given time? Like a couple of them?
2: Um, a lot of them pretty hot most of the year
1: okay so once you find those spots they're they're pretty you just got to wait for the right set of conditions and confirm what sign and then you just go in and and make your move
2: yeah because those those locations will always hold bucks like you could go in there in september and a buck will come out but it just might not be a big one you know but you just you got to wait for that big buck to show up on the sign and once he's there then you hunt him but until you see that big buck making the sign in that spot, you kind of hold back.
1: And when the big guy moves in, does he usually push the l- little ones out of there, or do they just end up getting shifted over a little bit to more satellite-type bedding, and still are in the same area?
2: Yeah, they'll just they'll just kind of satellite out. They'll just they'll they'll start coming out where the does come out, in less advantage spots. You know, it's just okay. Yeah, the little guys are coming out over here with the the majority of the deer. You know, and then you just get that big old grumpy buck that's hiding in the back and you just, you don't want to play that game and he's coming out his own
1: way. So that, you know, that type he, of a spot sounds like a, like a late, mid, late October. It starts to heat up a little bit. He starts to move in there in terms of the the bigger buck yeah. activity versus just like the general deer.
2: Yeah. But then you got to remember those big bucks are bred somewhere in September too.
1: Right. That was going to be my next question is where, where is he in September?
2: He's he's going to have an area like that in September, too. It's just going to, like, it all, it, like, I focus on different terrains for different times of year because it's just more advantage to kill a bigger buck in certain places in September. Like, September, I like hunting big, grassy, open areas and stuff where it's more, a lot of wildflowers growing and stuff like that where the, there's a lot of food for them. Because those bucks want to pack on calories and stuff, and everybody thinks they're going to be eating acorns, but they're really, really a lot of their diet's going to be wildflowers and stuff like that. And if you look at the nutritional value in those plants, it's like a food platform. So, like September, I focus on more of the grassy, meadowy areas and stuff like that that the big bucks are going to use. And then you just kind of, you've got to root through them and find the buck sign and those from scouting those kind of locations for that time of year, you know, but it's, it seems like it's easier to kill a big buck in September in a location like that, because you can get back and glass into them. And you can see that buck physically out there. And when you can see that big buck out there, bedding in those big grassy open areas like that, from three, 400 yards away, and you watch them a couple nights in a row, then you can move in and kill.
1: Would you consider, yeah. like, a one- or two-year-old clear-cut to be a similar type of deal?
2: Yeah, yeah, you can, you can find them in spots like that, absolutely. You can get up in a clear-cut edge and glass into it and locate a big buck. I mean, it's, if it's September time frame, you might see that buck in there every day in the same place. You know, and he'll he'll be in that location a lot of times. He'll live in that until either the food's gone or like the rut starts. You know, and it, that that'll be like his October lull hideaway. You know, because like you always have like the you'll have some spots that are gonna be like oh there's big bucks in here, but as soon as the season opens up, they're gonna get pushed out from other hunters. Mm-hmm. But you just gotta find those little little like grassy, sunny, summery meadowy areas where there's no pressure
1: out in them. So where do you find the bigger deer usually bed in relationship to those grassier areas? Are they usually bedding pretty close to the edge, or can they still be, you know, in their little mountain swamp hole, you know, half mile away, and they just get up and walk toward those food sources?
2: Yeah, they'll they'll be on the edge sometimes, but a lot of times they'll just be out in the middle of the grass, hiding under a bush or something. And they're just they just little stupid little spots. You're like you, you, you will never notice these places during the uh, during the the winter scouting. That's the difficult part, is because you get snow load and stuff, and all that grass is matted down after the season. You can't see any of any of that sign that was out there. Right. But if you walk out there, there's always those little tiny wood saplings that are out in those grass fields mm-hmm. just like randomly you ever see like ones with rubs on them for no reason you're like well why does that have a rub on it you know like middle of the grass field out there you're like why does that have a rub well that actually could be the bedding you start you find little clusters where those little like one inch two inch trees got rubs on them you get kind of put two and two together you to, okay the grass is six feet tall in september and he's out here rubbing those little little whips around because it's the only thing he can rub in his bedding area. So you you go out there and walk through those matted grass fields, and all of a sudden you find little clusters of rubs like that, and then you mark them on onyx. And then what you do is you go in there before the season and get up in a tree and glass out into those spots you marked and see what bucks stand up in those places. Yeah. Because a lot of times you can't you can't see them from the ground level. But if you can climb a tree a couple hundred yards off and glass into it, all of a sudden, getting hour before dark, you'll see all these racks standing up out there. And you'll spot the antlers moving through the grass and stuff. And you can glass them and pick them out. And once you figure out where they are, you come back and you check again see if he's there another day. You know, like, okay, yeah, he's on this is the spot you know and just stay back to the point where you're not pressuring him at all and then once you have a feeling he's in there then you go in there and get up right in his face where you can set up and shoot him from watching him watching him from your observation location
1: yeah i feel like that's probably why i didn't see as many deer early season last year i was focusing more on you know some of those oak type areas and i was seeing a lot of like doe sign and doe activity but you yeah know, and it seemed, younger bucks pop yeah out. yeah it seemed like i didn't see as many as much big buck sign until like everything lit up in mid october and it was like okay yeah. then it was like obvious but before then yeah
2: and those big bucks they're not like making big buck sign you might find like you might, like you'll have a good like starter if you like go to like a main food source like a big Big alfalfa field or something on the edge There's a giant primary scrape. You're like, well, that's probably a pretty mature deer making a scrape like that, you know. So, you find a big scrape like that near those fields, that it's nighttime sign, and then you just got to trace it back and follow it, figure out where he's coming from, you know, because he's got to be there. It's like, yeah, they don't just magically appear closer to the rut. They, they're 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 living somewhere, but they're just they don't move a lot. They're just out in those little places. And, like, to kill him, you can't, like, a lot of times you might not be able to set up on the wood line or anything even to shoot those deer. You might have to physically crawl out there on your hands and knees to where he gets up from his bed and then moves over, like, to a patch of flowers or something where he likes feeding. So you might, like, be hiding in a bush out there with him, you know, and you can't see nothing. So you just got to kind of trust what you saw, and you just go out there and you hide out there, and eventually all of a sudden he just pops out in front of you and you can shoot him
1: yep so yeah that makes sense and I suppose if you're if you're looking for a confirmation of like that nighttime sign like you talked about, that's probably always a good place to just drop a camera and then you know kind of yeah. what what yeah, you're after case, right?
2: like i I have one spot that I hunt every year, and there's a big apple tree like next to the parking lot. well, of course, they're not gonna be on that apple tree in daylight. But if I put a camera on that apple tree, they'll come walking out there at three o'clock in the morning looking for some apples, and to get them on camera. And then you could see the the, the trail that they're making through the grass, coming to it. Like, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh wait, there's a big scrape over here, not 200 yards from this apple tree. This must be the one breadcrumb I need to connect the dots in the direction that he's coming from. Yep. You know, and then you go, okay, now I can move in. You know, it's just, it's a lot of times it's just like out and a lot of, a lot of these grassy, like river bottoms are great. I love hunting. A lot of these are big river bottoms and like more open marshes and stuff like that is what I'm looking at. And then, then once I, uh, get closer into the, towards the rut, I'll focus more on the bigger bucks that are up in the, uh in the hill country and the mountains and stuff like that, you know, it's just trying to get close to a deer in hill country in September is very difficult sometimes, unless you have the perfect situation for it. So you just gotta, you gotta pick the terrain that's going to work for you and you just gotta kill the big bucks in that place until it's time to
1: kill them in the next place. So if you, if you're onto a big buck in early season and you got them, you know, fairly padder, but you just can't seal the deal and the grass starts dying off and it just becomes harder. He starts relocating. Are you going to give up on a deer that you're really trying to kill in that type of environment to, to shift your tactics up and hunt different deer probably that are in higher areas? Are you making the assumption and oftentimes hunting places where you can just move from one to the other and you're going to be hunting the same deer?
2: Yeah. Well, sometimes the problem is in a lot of those situations, you might have a big buck out in that grass and closer to rut. He might be rutting two miles away. You know, you might find that he's not even in a place you can kill him. Yeah. Later in the year. So you're going to be trying to chase something that's impossible a lot of times, or it's just, you know, a lot of times they shift really far from those summer, summer grounds for their rutting grounds. Because you're going to go where the most does are, especially like the real big box. If they're,
1: you know, they're they're the
2: herd bull, essentially, you know. They're going to find the biggest herd of does, and that's where they're going to stake their claim.
1: So early season, you like the, the open grassier areas, hill country during the rot, and late season, is it just kind of? Do you have a, I guess, a preference? If you got standing beans, um, I guess would be a, a nice, a nice plus.
2: Nice, something with antlers still on its head will work, but it's just it's trying to, just trying to find something that time of year is sometimes very difficult because, I mean, you're losing a majority, of you're getting shot already, so you kind of have to take what you can find and hope you can figure something out on them. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I focused on big bucks and cattail swamps later in the year. You know, this year it was more hill country, which was extremely difficult because of the the wind and everything. Like preferably if I could have found a, a buck in a flatter area where the wind wouldn't swirl so much, I would have probably went for that one instead. But there wasn't any around at the time, so because I had a I had a nice buck that I could have killed in December, but he came out and he didn't have any points left on his head because all his tines were broken off on his main beams this year, his big ten pointer. So I just left them be. I'm like a I'm not going to shoot a hundred and, 135 inch buck that's going to Score hundred inches because it's missing all antlers. But that 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 deer was in a marsh. But that was like a late season pattern in a marsh, and it was just an island out there in the cattail marsh that happened to be a giant cedar patch. It was a big island covered in cedar trees, and that was his like winter bedding area out there in the marsh.
1: Huh.
2: I I found his tracks and everything, and I got on them. I mean I, I, it there was like four finger tracks in the snow out there and I'm like, okay, I'll get on this buck. But I, I could have killed him, he was like twenty yards from me. But I just I
1: didn't shoot him. But. Was he just feeding on Browse then that time of year in the cattail swamp or, or the cedars or what what does he feed on out there? Uh he
2: was coming probably he was probably traveling a good mile out of the out of the swamp. And like primary feeding and like bunch of fields and stuff out from there. But during the daytime, he was just kind of browsing that cedar patch in this cedar swamp. It was just—it was like a big—it was all fragmites, you know, big fragmite cattails. And then there's this big five-acre island out there. It's all cedars, and he decided he wanted to live on that. And to get to him, you got to walk through a lot of water. Didn't look like many people ever went out there before, and it was it was. If I shot him, it would have been like a mile and a half drag too. So yeah. But that's where he wanted to be because that's where he was safe, because everything surrounding it was heavily pressured. I mean, there was all sorts of hunting sign on the edges of that swamp. But he just, he lived out there in the middle. And he, I mean, he had, there's some red brush growing, willow, willows and stuff like that from the Chulon. There's active beaver out there in the marsh. So the beavers are creating habitat for bucks to feed on.
1: Were there any big trees out there on that little island he was on? Or was it all just non-tree stand friendly cedars and stuff?
2: It was all it was all low cedars, and then there was like big oak trees and stuff out there on that island too. Okay. So, but he was living out like in the cedars in the, on the island itself, because the swamp itself is water. Sure. For the most part, but it was the island was thick enough and it was big enough that he could just bed on the island. But even then, he would still bed on the downwind side of that of that island. So like, I know Dan always says like the da- downwind side of those islands is where you're gonna find the beds, and it's true. Like it's just this situation that the, the bedding couldn't be in the off the island, but it was on the downwind end of it. So as the wind would shift, he would be on different portions of the island, just on the downwind end of
1: it. Yeah, that makes sense. So there was some there was some wind-based
2: bedding on that island. But I I went and after I saw that he wasn't a shooter, I just went and, well, he he was a shooter. I just wasn't one I I could have shot. So I was like, well, I'm going to go see what he's doing. So I just went and found all his beds and marked them out and then left on to the next one.
1: (laughs) I want to back up just a second to go to talk about that earliest, the early season when you're glassing and finding deer in more open areas. Because I might do another out west trip for the beginning of September this year. And there could be some water. There could be the the grassy, marshy type stuff. Um, But we were talking earlier, and and you were saying that uh, even if you had, like, a five-day hunt, like, you'd be totally satisfied if your first, like, three or four days were just glassing. And, like, you don't even really make a move until you got something, like, pegged. Absolutely I what's the what, what's the point of trying to kill something that's not there
2: you know but if you can glass them and find them, if you only got two days to kill him, well now you can kill him because you know where he's, you know where he is and you know what he's doing. you know you gotta you gotta think think tactically on on the situation capitalize on it like even like this year, in Ohio, is was the same situation, too. You know, it was hot weather when I went there this year. Everybody was like, this is the worst year ever for worst week ever in Ohio. Everybody was complaining on on the the hunting beast page and stuff. And I, I'm like, yep, I went scouting. I scouted for eight days in Ohio, and then I hunted two days.
1: And those first several days, you're just covering ground trying to find something. Some big buck sign yep. to go after.
2: Yep, exactly. I just kept looking. I'm like, I'm gonna find the biggest buck in Ohio. And that's what I just kept doing. I kept looking for the biggest buck in Ohio. And I finally I found the monster sign that I was looking for. And then I, I I capitalized on it and set up and I had that had a nice buck down last day of the season. The last day of the trip. And I almost got an opportunity to do it Was probably 170 inches that trip too, on the last day, or the day before.
1: But, yeah, that's something yeah, I'm gonna try and re- do. I'm gonna try and do a better job of that this year. Is, I mean, we we all say it. We all say it, you know, scout more than you hunt. But it's, it's easier said than done because it's it's so tempting to, to want to take every opportunity you have in the fall to find the best sign you can and set up on it. But being able to, to have kind of that uh, mindset of there's nothing forcing me to, to climb a tree today. If I don't find what I want to find, I'll just, you know, keep gathering the intel and just keep searching and keep looking. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of days in Ohio. I didn't, I didn't even go out. I didn't even hunt. I, I, I carried my bow around, you know, and I would, I'd be scouting. I wouldn't be like tromping through the woods, knocking the trees over, looking around. Like I'd be like, I, like actually I walked around most of the for four days of the trip in Ohio. I walked around without my shoes on.
1: Just so you could be quiet. And to leaves,
2: yeah. These were so dry. I couldn't, couldn't walk without making noise. And I had a fine sign because the deer weren't making sign. You know, they weren't moving. So I figured if I found hot sign, it would probably be pretty close to the deer at that point, you know. So I was like, I'll take my shoes off and walk around. And then I found out there's a lot of rattlesnakes after the trip. And I didn't <laughs>
1: know that before then. <laughs> are uh, are those moccasins that you were looking at snake proof? Nope. They- <laughs> but yeah, that that's okay. That, that would uh, that freak me out a little bit. I do we don't really have any snakes to worry about in Minnesota.
2: Yeah, I got. I see them in Jersey sometimes. We got. We have big rattlesnakes, and we have copperheads in Jersey. Every once in a while, I walk into one, but most of the time you don't see them. Yeah. Which is pretty bad. But yeah, I always. I always look more than I, than I, than like actual hunting time. Like this year, I, 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 honestly probably like I hunted a lot of days. Like I almost hunted almost every day this year, but realistically I probably only set up twice a week throughout, like through, during the whole season, course of the whole season, like twice a week, I actually physically sit in the tree.
1: Yeah, know, that's that's a pretty. Looking. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting statistic because I mean it's you know, you're really between twenty eight between twenty eight and thirty three percent of the time you're actually you know climbing up a tree and the rest of the times you're just scouting. Yep,
2: you know, but at the same time, how many bucks did I kill walking this year? You know. Right. I killed my two big bucks this year on the ground. You because know, I was just being aggressive about it. But I was being aggressive and smart. I wasn't just scouting. Like, I was still hunting and scouting. Like, if I saw a deer, I was going to have an opportunity. I was moving slow enough that I could have killed something. And many of the times, like, walking around scouting, I do get in positions where I can kill bucks. You know? Yeah. Probably, if I, if I go every day in the week and I walk around probably four or five days out of the week, I'd probably have an opportunity to deer, you know, and then finally the big ones in front of you.
1: Yeah, I think...
2: You go and you screw up a lot
1: before you start getting the opportunities doing that. I think that for the guys who are like you and just have a lot of, you know, have structured their fall so they can hunt a lot or... They're taking a ten day, fourteen day, whatever trip, out of state or even like in their home state. They're taking their, you know, their time off or whatever. I it, it's it's very sound info, and I I feel like the people that it's hardest for to to kind of adopt that mentality is, is probably the the weekend warrior guys who you know they got there Saturday Sunday, or like Pennsylvania they got there one day, and then it's like. Their next opportunity to get back out in the woods is until the following week, and then it's like whatever you learned that weekend prior. You have to almost kind of forget a little bit, or at least not be afraid to, you know, realize that it, it could have shifted between then and the the following weekend.
2: Yeah, yeah When you have limited time, you got to just put in a lot more time scouting
1: off season. So would you, you say know, you for really dedicated? So would you say for a weekend guy? like your your Saturday, maybe you set up in the morning on a, a Saturday if you get a good spot, but then, like, the rest of your Saturday could just be covering ground and scouting, and if you find something good by the yeah, evening, you exactly. set up on it, and if not, you just keep scouting the rest yeah. of the whole Saturday?
2: You scout, scout off-season, you find good morning spots, and, you, and then you go hunt those in the mornings, then 9, 10 o'clock, when you don't think you're going to have any more deer going past you, you get up and you find a place where you can go check and you go look. You don't get out of the woods. You stay in the woods and you keep hunting the rest of the day, but you just still hunt your way around where you're staying on your back for the evening hunt. And then when you find that hot sign again, then you can move right back in on it. You know, but don't go out for lunch. If you got limited time, don't waste it going out and getting a sandwich stay in the woods because you kill deer in the middle of the day and i know a lot of people that do kill deer midday you know
1: yeah and the value there's the value there's throughout the season right it's not just like it's not just like during the peak of the rut when you could shoot one you know 11 a.m or noon or whatever it's the yeah the style of uh, hunting it's
2: in september in the middle of the day if you put yourself in the right place, you know, and if you're putting yourself in the right place and working through nice and easy, paying attention, that buck could still be there. He might be milling around.
1: Yeah. Cause they get up, They
2: catch him stand up out of bed and walk through.
1: They get up several times throughout the day and just stay within their core area just to, to be able to, you know, like stretch their legs and, and just feed on brows and whatnot. There's always that opportunity. Yep.
2: They could be in a couple hundred hundred yards area, you know, a couple hundred yards circle where they're going to just mill around and move, and then they'll they, they'll get up and shift bedding. You know, you get they get too hot in one spot, they'll get up and move over to some shade. You know, and if you're in that position where you can kill them or see them, you can make a move on it. But if you're out out in town getting a sandwich you're not going to kill them but if you're in that area and you keep staying with the deer eventually you're going to spot them and see them and you'll be able to make a move you know you might not might not work as you planned and you'll shoot them in a true stand or something but if you see them you could slip in there and get close enough to where it comes later in the day when he gets up and moves again you might get a shot at him yep you know just keep staying on him I I rarely ever leave the woods. I usually bring a couple granola bars or something, water and I just stay in the woods all day when I hunt.
1: Yeah, you're definitely not the you're not the typical whitetail hunter for sure. Which I think is good. I, I think it's there's a when I listen to you I feel like I Go ahead. Oh uh, yes, I was
2: gonna I feel like I, I hunt more like I'm a tracker In the northern woods. You know what I mean? Like those guys, when they go out, they go out. They don't come back till dark and they're always out. They're out. They don't have snow. They're out still hunting. But it's like the more time you spend out there, the more opportunities you're going to get because you'll see them and then you'll learn how to capitalize on them and then you can kill them. You know, it's not going to happen the way you expect it. It's just you're going to have to take what's handed to you.
1: Yeah, and certainly for there's there's some scenarios where that isn't like the most the most fitting, right? If you got your eighty acres of of private land, that's all you got. Then you know you got to
2: yeah. Don't want to go walk around your eighty acres every day.
1: Right. Right. Sure.
2: But if you're just hunting public land. It's like if you don't kill them, somebody else is gonna kill them. So you might as well try. Yeah. You know you uh, you can't you can't blow a blow a, a public land spot up because somebody's going to blow it up the next day anyway you know that's the way i look at it so it's, if that deer's there i'm going to hunt him down
1: yeah that's that's one of the things i i really like about the concept of the big woods is that uh you can just if you're, you hone your skill set enough, you can just keep getting after it over and over and over again until hopefully you're successful. But your odds or you know probability of pushing them off to some place where you can't hunt them is pretty low. Yeah,
2: that's what, like the Pennsylvania buck I shot. I killed him three days later after I jumped him the first day, and he was a mile and a half from where I first saw him.
1: Yeah. So, but so my I biggest
2: in another
1: area. my biggest fear Actually, in those types of scenarios I, I, is always that you just maybe you don't push them onto private, but maybe you you know you tip them off enough to where he's moving more more nocturnally. And how big of a well, even, how big of an issue is that even? Or do you still find that even if you kick a deer up, yeah. there's still a pretty good opportunity that you're gonna still be able to capitalize on him in daylight.
2: I've kicked deer up the same day and got back on multiple times. And even in like Pennsylvania this year, I jumped a nice buck up around noon time. Cause I was kind of scouting. Cause like, I, I, I don't really pay attention too much in Pennsylvania. I'm going to be paying attention more since I shot a seven and a half year old buck. But like I, I kicked that one buck up a nice eight pointer, probably 120 inch buck. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to see where he went. I'm like, I'm like, I jumped him. He probably didn't go far. You know, I, instead of going right and moving, you know, if you jump a deer up, don't, don't just, like, go, oh, it's over. Like, that deer probably just ran a couple hundred yards just standing there looking at you, you know. But if you don't move and you just sit down, he might be like, oh, maybe it wasn't anything because he's going to look for confirmation on what it is, especially a mature buck. He doesn't want to run away not going to just disappear and run a million miles. You know, he'll probably just go a hundred yards and settle down again. If you don't pursue him, he'll forget you're there. And then you can just kind of loop around and figure out where he might be now and try to set up for him a second time. Mm -hmm. Multiple times I've done that where I've physically like drove a deer into a new location and then reset.
1: And resetting in that scenario, is that finding a new tree to climb or is that just like getting in the right area, even if you're still on the ground?
2: Yeah. Well, If I'm on the ground, I'm on the ground. If I have to get in a tree, I usually have a way to get in a tree while I'm hunting. I like to carry something
1: to get up in a tree. But are you, are you still then, like if you, let's say you jump a deer out of the bed and you want to try and get back on them yet that day, are you trying to, like, find a route that he's going to take to get back to where you just jumped him from? Or are you trying to already, like, piece together, you know? Well, I
2: I figure he's probably not coming back. Most of the time, he's not coming back to that bed that day, you know. But if he ran down the swamp line and you look and either – you could just slowly work your way in that area and you see an area where he might be bedded again or you look on your your onyx or something like that and you look at the map and go okay that's the next likely bedding area along the swamp would be like this point going or something he's probably going to be hiding there you know so then you just kind of you jump that deer and you give him a space let him do his thing let him wander off you know because he'll he'll he might He might run 200 yards, stop, and then watch where he could see you where he first got spooked. And he'll just kind of sit there and hide in the bushes and watch. And if he sees you move again, it's over. Now he knows. Like, if he doesn't physically see you, you know, because they want to have a confirmation. They don't want to just be like, they don't want to just hear you. They want more than one sense. So, like, he wants to smell you, see you, hear you. You know, sometimes i will try to circle around you and get downwind if it's possible to get a wind of you. So, like, most of the time, I jump a deer, I stop, give it, like, a couple minutes, then I back out, and then I loop. And I'll make a big circle where he's not going to be able to detect me doing it, and then I'll try to cut him off and get around him. You know, because you figure you bumped him that way, he's probably not going to come at dark and then walk back that direction. He might just kind of come out of the bed and go a different direction from the next location up, you know, or he might not even bed. He just might get bumped and then just wind up eating acorns under a tree for a couple hours where he feels safe, you know. But if you can just get up and get around and then set up again where you can have the wind right, you might have him walk right past you if you know where a deer is going to likely travel through an area.
1: So how do you make the decision if you're going to do that? Or if you're just going to say, I bumped him out of his bed, I'm going to try and right now pick the best tree for a bump and dump in the hopes that he comes back tomorrow morning or the next morning. Or do you try and do both? I don't really do too many
2: of the, like, like I'll, I'll do an attempt at it the following day. I'm like i'll just be like okay he was bedded right there i'll go set up right there where he was where i jumped him you know but a lot of times i don't even walk over and like confirm nothing as long as it's like i know i physically jumped him from a bed right there it's, all right i just walk over there in the morning i'm pinning on onyx and come in the dark and set up but gotcha rarely do i actually do that i'm more 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 often i'll, I'll jump him like midday or something and try to set up for him that evening catching them off guard again, and then the hunt's on. Then the next day you go in there and you start to pick it out, and you go down, you know, instead of instead of walking where you can't find tracks, you walk where the ground's wet or something. You look for tracks from, and you're like, okay, maybe this is, this is tracks here. Okay, I'll follow this back. And then The next day I'll just kind of pick up my track on where I saw them last, and I'll just kind of track them. And then once I kind of figure out where he where he might be going now, and I'll try to set up on him. I'll just keep trying to follow him around and setting up on him. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'll, I'll have to try that. If I if I bump a deer this year, I'll have to see if I can't, you know, do the pause, back up a little bit, reassess the maps, and try and figure out where he might be headed to to see if I can't make a play on him that day.
2: Yeah, because that's, like, something I learned a lot because, like, my dad – he's big on tracking deer in the Adirondacks when I was younger. So like I grew up, like I couldn't even go hunting yet. And I'd be up there following him around in the woods while he was hunting during hunting season. I just stay with him at camp and like we, we just tracking deer in the snow or tracking without snow. And that's just kind of how we learned how to hunt, you know, but like most of the time when you track a deer in the snow and you jump them out of the bed, that's what they do. 90% of the time they're going to just run off and stop. You know, and if, if you give them time and settle down, you can just get right back in and get on them again. You know, and that's what that's what we did in the snow. It's like we jumped a deer and we just give them time, loop in come come in from a little different angle so he's not like looking your way. You can walk right back right back in and get a shot on him. You know, it's
1: just extra tricky when you're dealing with a bulk instead of a gun. Right. Well I tell you what, I, well, I think we all? I think we picked apart this this topic pretty well, um, in terms of I guess specifically some of the, the more mature buck what what their tendencies are in comparison to some of the other deer, you know, even different habitat types, different times of the year. Do you yep. have any, any closing thoughts?
2: Yeah, yeah just don't, don't think it's over until it's over, you know. You can blow it up, but you can still get in there and kill them, you know. Might not be that day, but you're going to get them if you just keep working at it. But if you don't you learn something You know If you screw up Figure out why you screwed up And fix it Don't do it again You know
1: Every opportunity is a Opportunity for learning
2: Yep Exactly
1: Well cool man I once again really appreciate you Jumping on These discussions are always great.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm doing it.
1: That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, thanks for listening.